Hello, this is Timothy Allen and welcome to episode number three of my podcast. On today's episode, I sit down and talk with a friend of mine by the name of Elia Locardi. Now, Elia is a photographer like myself, also quite a prolific traveller, not that dissimilar to myself also. And as a result, we have plenty to talk about during this podcast. For the most part in this conversation, we talk about travel and the creative process. Elia is a photographer who, for the most part, makes his living on the road. And I know that this is often cited as being the dream of many photographers. Well, Elia's living the dream and he's happy to discuss the nuts and bolts of that kind of lifestyle. Um, We touch upon quite a few subjects. We end up talking about social networks and free speech again, funnily enough, seems to be a theme. Um, We talk about podcasting and the spoken word and how important they are in the current media landscape. We also talk about transformation in the creative process, but also in relation to COVID and lockdowns. Both myself and Elia are in agreement that this current situation in the world, whilst terrible on one hand, is also offering us huge opportunities for transformation. And we discuss those. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I did. It's really great to sit down with Elia. He's a great guy. And I got to meet him in person for this conversation in the Middle East, which was also fantastic. Don't forget, new episodes coming out every Friday afternoon, UK time. In the meantime, sit back and relax and enjoy my conversation with Elia Locardi. Thank you. A good way to start might be to read out your bio at, at Exposure. And we'll, we'll, Wait, we'll, can I, what, is, what is it that say at Exposure? I want it. I'm, I'm we'll sure. work out whether or not it's real. Basically, we're at Exposure in in. Yeah, Charger. but what is their description of me? I will tell you in a minute. I'm just going to tell everyone where we are first so that they can get a sense. Now, we're at a photo festival. Um, we met about probably three years ago at this exact festival. 2016, right? I think, was the first time, yeah. Right, okay. And... Um, He's come back a few times and I, I come here every year here because I run a scholarship. Um, and um, I found, yeah, I've, I listened to your talk and I found what you were saying very interesting in particular because you're talking mm. about new media, the, you know, new ways of educating, creating, you know. And I think what happens to a lot of photographers, especially the old guard, is they don't really understand any of this new stuff. And no, no. Right. So, so I think it'd be nice to talk about any of that stuff. Anyway, let's, let's start. Elia Lacardi is an internationally acclaimed professional travel photographer, writer, experienced public speaker, and highly skilled educator. Oh, they just took that off my website where I have to be all salesy. <laughs> I'm glad you're a highly skilled educator. Well, you wouldn't want any other type of educator here. <laughs> I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't settle for it. No, I just, it's this there to make you comfortable. Right. So uh, also it says here, you spend your life shooting some of the most beautiful locations in Including the world. Including this hotel room, yeah. Right. 
Featured by professional photographer magazine, CNET, blah, 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 blah. Fuji a bunch films, of yeah. stuff. Elliot began working full-time in the photography industry in 2009, and since then he's visited more than 65 countries, flown nearly 2 million miles, and collaborated with companies, brands, NGOs, tourism agencies, you name it, blah, blah, blah. Due to the years of dedication and genuine openness... With his colleagues and his audience, he has become one of the most followed photographers in the industry while building and maintaining a highly engaged social media following. Are we in the right are we in the right ballpark there? Well, it's gonna be augmented. Like the middle part is true, but I think when we're doing uh I don't know, like the the horrible thing that we all have to do is we have to worry about self promotion too, because we're running a business. So um yeah, the highly skilled educator thing. I don't know why I put that there. The middle part though about traveling and being places in the countries is 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 probably the meat of that and then the feature stuff is because we have to kind of add some legitimacy to what we do even though when i meet people in person or i'm in in conferences i don't mention any of that stuff i try not to bring up anything that i've done i don't like to talk about social media i don't want to talk about that usually it's because we're talking about the work or we're talking about the the story or the project but that gets you know, and I'm embarrassed to say five or six years ago, I did some influencer projects and stuff like that, too, before it was like a thing. And I, I do not wear a fedora, you know, it's not hot dog legs and, and follow shots and stuff like that. So it was back before it was a thing. So that's kind of a legacy from that, you know, that that following. So if people are like, oh, it's social media. He's a cool guy. It's funny what I did on my own website to try and mitigate this thing that everyone writes a glowing report of themselves on their website don't they and everyone knows that that person wrote it themselves it's oh, very yeah. so <laughs> yeah, same definitely. with wikipedia same with everything right so yeah, what yeah, i did yeah. i i did my glowing report and then i wrote a third person one underneath so i i wrote it in the in the in in, in the first sorry i wrote a first person one underneath i wrote it in the third person timothy allen is a blah 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 and then underneath i rewrote it as if i was actually saying it you know and i i hoped that would sort of mitigate this kind of terrible <laughs> injustice that we all do to ourselves we're over promoting but <clears throat> but uh, so we're in the right ballpark anyway i mean what what i'm really interested in from my own perspective is um, the notion of people traveling full time, making a living traveling, because it's something I've done. Uh, I have a family now, so I don't do it as much. But even when I was doing it, <clears throat> I was under no impression that I was going to be a wealthy photographer doing this. It was a lifestyle that I loved doing. And actually, I didn't even really tend to make money out of the photography. I used to make some money and then go spend a year and a half traveling right, shooting right. stories. So, so tell me, how, how are you doing it yourself? Well, I think it's, it's interesting you say that about not having an agenda to make money. Um, in 2018, after a long time in visual effects, motion graphics and CBS media, all that kind of stuff in South Florida, we were like so financed, we lost our house in the housing crisis, the cars were repossessed, all these things led us to simplify our lifestyle. We filed bankruptcy and we basically started, we had nothing, you know? When was that? 2008 to uh, 2008 before I picked up a camera. Yeah. So 2017, 2018 were really dark years for us. And when we kind of lost everything, we realized that we were going in the wrong direction. We prioritized a job title. It was an art director. We had, you know, a nice car. We had a house, all the stuff that we couldn't afford because we financed it, you know, the American dream. 
And so we also, in 10 years of post-production and 80-hour weeks, never took a single vacation in almost 10 years. And my wife had never left the country, and her family's Italian. So we decided to take what we had left. Like, um, we had her car. We sold her car. We sold basically everything uh, to start saving money. We didn't eat out. I think I lived on peanut butter and jelly for a while, you know. we, I had some friends that worked in the travel industry, and they were able to give us some, like, bulk fares on, on tickets. And we just started going. You know, we just started going places, and... We landed in Rome the first time and she just started crying for like an hour because she's it's like her dream to go. And I uh, I just had like a crappy camera at the time. I started taking photos and, and I learned a little bit about photography in art school. But when I started taking photos, I was like, this is so much fun. Like, I feel creative again. I went to school for art and I did it for a living and it like destroyed me. I got, you know, so depressed about it. And then here's photography. and like, this is new. This is fun. And I kind of went back from that trip and I'm like, Naomi, you, you, we really want to travel. You know, she's like, yeah, let's do whatever we can to prioritize this. And that's what we did. I didn't even have a camera to use. So my buddy lent me his uh, Nikon D3. And he's funny because he's like, oh, yeah, you're a photographer. You'll take care of it. I'm like, do you know photographers? But he was nice. So the, I, I borrowed his camera for a whole year and then uh, was able to start building a portfolio. Wasn't even thinking about money, just wanted to go to places and start working on it. And then, uh, I remember my grandmother who recently passed, like she, I showed her the photos and she's like, you really love this, don't you? And I'm like, yeah. And she gave me a thousand dollars. And at that time for us was like huge. And I found a camera on uh, Craigslist. This guy was selling his uh, D700, you know, and then the 1424. And it was like, I don't know, like I got him down to $2,000 like for this. I'm like, this is huge. And super nice guy. I told him what I was doing and he was just really supportive. And, and that was kind of it. And then we just, we just started going and the the business thing wasn't really, you know, we didn't have anything, you know, we just had enough to move. And, and when you start, we came, became location independent in 2012, which mainly means that we, we, we don't have rent, we don't have a cell phone, we don't have bills, we sold everything to be able to have a little bit of money to be able to propel ourselves. And when you get out of that construct of Western life and you know, what, what I have to do and status and bills and stuff, you, you, you really find out that travel only requires a modest income depending on what you're traveling. If you're modest, you're staying in places that are, are affordable. It really enabled us to be around and just wanted to kind of start getting into wildlife causes and all of these things. And what kind of happened, the reason that it turned into uh, an idea that it could be financial is suddenly um, Google comes up with Google Plus in 2011, 2012. And we all kind of get on this thing because Facebook's not public. We have Flickr, but, you know, Flickr, you know, it's Flickr. Groups don't really engage. And then suddenly, like, I'm connected to this photography community instantly. Photographers from all over the world. I'm just chatting with people. And then Google's on there. And I'm, like, talking to Google. And they're like, hey, next time you're in Australia, come give a talk at the thing. And I'm like, that's great. And then, you know, I'm in Ireland. And, like, the, the Google team's like, hey, oh, actually, we're at the office. Come to the office. And then we should connect you to this and connect you to that. And then we just started already had having being and going to all of these places, just started to make all these connections with people and, and make all these friends and contacts. And at the time, it's like a pioneering social media day. Everybody's excited and there was community. And then it was like slowly like business started happening. And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe there's something here. And that was the beginning. It's funny. I, re I remember well Google starting their social network. And I also remember seeing that community. It wasn't my community. Although you were travelers and photographers, hmm. your your styles of pictures were very different to mine, but very sort of similar amongst yourselves. And I, 
what was the guy called? The guy who Trey somebody. Trey Radcliffe. The, right, right. He was like they they he call him like the, the Godfather of HDR. Right, yeah. exactly. He was. Would it be fair to say he was one of the kind of heroes? Yeah. So Trey was, and he's an interesting interesting guy in general. And yeah, in many ways, I think at the time, what was interesting, like I was sharing these photos of of places that people knew, but social media hadn't sort of shared them in that way. You know, we've seen them in magazines and stuff like that. Areas like uh, Cinque Terre and uh, Italy, Vernazzi, these places, they ended up going viral because this is like like we're seeing these for the first time and. HDR back then was to overcome the limitations of the sensor, but then everybody would dial things up to 11, and then you had that HDR look. But he was the one who was out there. I believe he he sold a couple software companies, and he was just a traveler at heart, and he'd take all these photos, and, and he created a blog. And so, yeah, he, in, he definitely inspired a generation of people uh, that wanted to tell stories through, e- you know, either a series of photographs or even like a single photo. I remember he used to do like a, a daily photo, you know, and then just talk about it. Yeah. yeah, I remember actually. Um, I, I used to run this even in the, the initial days of this scholarship that I run here. I remember trying to inspire my photographers to sort of reach out on social media, and I used to use Trey's like you know platform as an example. And it literally was: look, if this guy can do it, <laughs> you can definitely do it because it's like his photos were just. You know, like not my kind of cup no, of tea, no, but no. but he was he was working the system well. Like he was having meetups, smart, he, you know, businessman. And, and it's and this is I think the thing that a lot of photographers don't have a clue about. They just want to shoot photos, and they don't understand the importance of their network. Exactly. And the networks and like now in my workshops, it's like all about the network. It's like we're all good photographers, you know. But, you know, we're living in an age now where your network is super important. And if you're at the center of it, even better, like Trey and yourself and a few other people I know, it's like you create a network and your your people are there. And and if you can't, you know, if you can't make your own, you join someone else's and then, and, and then take it from there. And I'm fascinated by the way these new networks are appearing because mm-hmm. Google... Um, what was the, what was it called? The, Google Plus. The Google Plus was obviously a social media platform, you know, and it was like, okay, we need to hop on this. I mean, I went on it, funnily enough, and but nowadays I think it's a little bit less tangible. These networks are forming in strange places like That's Zoom right. and Clubhouse. Uh, yeah, Clubhouse. I, I I mean, it'd be interesting to see whether um, Clubhouse evolves a photography side. Well, it's it, it is discussions, but remember, we're we're lacking the visual element. Well, exactly. But that doesn't mean, you know, like you can't do that. Someone explained Clubhouse yesterday really well. They said it's like listening. I was on a call last night, actually. And we I was complaining that it's no Android app yet. Wait, you're complaining? Are yeah, you yeah, kidding me? Yeah. And and she said, oh, yeah, you know, it's like it's like having a radio on in the background. Hmm. You can listen to it. And I thought, yeah. And, and, and what annoys me, I suppose, is that it may rule out podcasts which i i find podcasts are my my i'm a four or five hour a day guy with podcasts these days just listening to people and i i'm not sure i would in the same way tiktok doesn't excite me as much as something like facebook which tiktok's you've got to be on it all yeah, the but time did live radio destroy podcasts i think some there's something being said about a live conversation and then subscribing to something so i think there's going to be a place for it um, but then the podcasts are still going to be there because they're going to be on my phone and I'm going to be listening to them. I think that the clubhouse right now is, is something that's what I'm using it for. I'm afraid to keep using it because I'm going to get addicted to it, but I leave it on in the background when I'm working and I'm just hearing randomness. Mm. 
Do you know what I mean? Because when I subscribe to certain podcasts, I'm expecting something. Can you tell us a bit about, I mean, I've never been on because I, I don't have a bloody iPhone, but just give us an overview. Like, how does it work? Where do you, what, what are the rooms? You know, you what, can create rooms. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed by it because I just started, but I have some friends who, you know, turn me on to who to uh, follow and then they're setting up rooms. So I'll join their rooms. And what's neat about Clubhouse is you can, you can be a total lurker and just listen, but you can jump in and talk. And I think that's really interesting, especially when celebrities and CEOs are getting on there because you're, you know, you're on the same channel as them and you know, you can talk. And then some people actually do. And they, they dive into these like really technical conversations. But it works like a social media platform. So you yes, follow people yes. and you can't jump in a room unless you're connected or whatever, or, or if they close, you can close the room or whatever. Is that right? Yeah, but you can just join too. You can, it's just very overwhelming because there's a lot going on you know, and there's a lot of topics. So later I'll have a, I'll, I'll dive into it more and I'll, I'll, but I'll where, find a where would you expect to be hanging out? What like, this well, is what's interesting. Okay. So, you know, I have a lot of my friends are like, we need you on clubhouse. These, you know, photographers are like, they're just, they're just not, you know, representing well. And I'm like, I actually wouldn't be in the photography forums or the, cause I, we hear about that all the time. You know, I don't think it's a new thing to talk about and we're all on tech or, you know, Fuji rumors, and that kind of rumors, whatever. I'd actually been on some of the business development things like, you know, when they're talking about, you know, Twitter or we're talking about AI or we're talking about things like that, like things that actually I consume in the news or search out regularly. Like I'm, I'm really interested in like the Apple M1 and what the M2 is going to be and like this new architecture and stuff. How is it? M1, Apple M1. Apple M1, yeah, I'm sorry, What's Mr. That? Android. Yeah, this is oh. their their new chip. Like, they kind of won CES, so Apple decided to drop Intel and create their own chip. The M1 is really interesting because it outperforms, or at least similar performance to the strongest Intel processors for laptops, but it creates no heat. Uh, you don't need as much RAM because it's built in. It's sort of the future of microprocessing. Dude, you work for Apple? That was a really good pitch. Oh, well. I want one. <laughs> no, I mean, it's great. I have the, I got the <laughs> Mac Mini, and you know what my favorite thing about it is? Go on. My office is completely quiet, like pin drop silent. If I'm, I'm usually running a machine or my laptop, it, it sounds like it's going to take off. Like it's an air, it's like a Harrier jet. Mm. So like, I'm like, do you hear that? And my wife's like, no. And I'm like, exactly. But what, what, what are the implications of this chip then, for example, for photography or whatever? Business? Well, it's a completely different architecture. So the one thing that's interesting is people have been developing things for Intel chips. You know, it's kind of like when a Sony comes out with a sensor, you know, Adobe doesn't have to write a new architecture. It's like, well, it's the same Bayer sensor and they just changed some of the metadata. So this is completely different. So the software has to be optimized for it. So of course, Apple has theirs, you know, their keynote works. Adobe's going to have theirs really soon. Chrome has it. And in the meantime, it's using a translation. I forget the name off the top of my head, but it's basically translating like a desktop parallel in the background. And so far, it's doing a really good job. I haven't seen any lags in Adobe Premiere or Adobe Photoshop. But as soon as everything's optimized for that and set to run on that chip's architecture, it's going to be a performance base. And the other thing that's going to happen is everything's going to be designed to be slimmer, lighter, because you're not dealing with fans. There's no need for fans. Uh, there's no you know heat exchange from these things. So we can finally achieve these overclocked kind of speeds without generating the heat. And look, my MacBook Pro is actually warped by like six degrees and the screen won't even close anymore because the heat is actually physically warped this thing. So this to me thinks like we can start taking this, you know, layers of the, the processor itself uh, has layers, you know, so it has the GPU on it, has the processor, it has all the different engines on top, which eliminates the need for additional hardware. And then you can make things smaller and you can start stacking these processors on top. And it's it's a neat future. Well, so how's that going to change or evolve 
your work, your photography, your business? What you know, is it going to have an effect? Well, think about the mobile the mobile chips that we're using right now. I mean, whether you're using the uh, I forget which ones are in Android, the new ones and the the new ones in Apple. I mean, essentially these chips are really small. It's based on the same kind of technology, but it's going to run everything um, faster, more efficiently, and in a small size. So what we're going to do photography. Away- well, in photography, yeah, it's great because the, the processing is a little more instant. You know, with me shooting now, uh, you know, the 100 megapixel medium format camera, I mean, my computer like sheds tears of blood when I'm trying to use Maybe Lightroom. You should, you know? uh, what, what is your setup for photography? What do you use? Oh, I'm using, uh, I'm about to convert to the new GFX 100S because it's a little smaller. I was using the GFX 100. It's a Fujifilm medium format camera. Um, Fujifilm is really interesting. They have the X series. Uh, they kind of pioneered, re-pioneered APS-C. Uh, they originally came out with the X100 and the X Pro. And I was working with them back when mirrorless was like a cute idea. We're like, I wish we could convert to mirrorless. Their X series is great. Now they're, you know, competitive in video and it's APS-C sensor. They decided to skip full frame and start creating mirrorless medium format cameras. So they're kind of calling it large format. It's like 20 something percent larger than full frame. It gives you a little bit more options, more dynamic range. It's a 16 bit sensor and it's put into an affordable body. The first 100 megapixel one is a beast, like it's big. But you what know? do you use a 100 megapixel camera for? Well, like- well, so I thought about this for a while, you know, and uh, since my work is is very technical, but also very digital, right? You know, I'm, I'm pushing pixels, I'm, I'm adding contrast, I'm not manipulating too much, I'm blending time. Um, but what you start to see is the, the quality of the pixels changes, the pixel depth. So if I'm shooting a landscape, and it's trees and grass and mountains and stuff like that, I mean, you're not really, even if you print it up large, you're not really looking at the fine details because it can be a little soft. But if I'm shooting Hong Kong, like even at 50 megapixels, it's starting to deteriorate in the background. But once you start getting into the pixel density of medium format, I mean, I feel like I'm a peeping Tom. Like in the way in the background in the window, I see the shape of people and, and, and the label on the, the thing that they're drinking. And then at 100 megapixels, you zoom in and then suddenly there's 100 people doing selfies with their phone and you can see what they're looking at on their phone. I mean, it's the incredible depth. So it's really good when it comes to details for me. Like I can, I can always know I have the precise details. And I'm not a portrait or studio photographer. You know, I don't understand. I, people say like there's that medium format look. You know, I can kind of see it, you know, because you have to work a little bit harder for the focal planes, you know, if it, like APS-C full frame, wide angle, it's all in focus, but I know I have to work a little bit harder for that, but it's more creative control. And then the one thing that I really think about is, you know, I've been to some of these places and, and at the time that I was there, maybe I had 12 megapixel. 24 megapixel and then now this place has like been destroyed or there was an earthquake so now i'm thinking maybe 100 megapixel lasts longer you know so it, it'll like survive archival i don't know i don't know i've i've my 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 um opinion on megapixels is you know i'm not that bothered about them anymore and mainly because um number one the way people consume media you know like what shooting a 100 megapixel photo on instagram obviously is a complete misnomer no, no. you don't need that um and i was already happy at the 5d mark one the canon you know sure. some of my f- most famous pictures were shot on a 5d mark one you can buy them for 300 bucks second uh, second hand on ebay now i mean that's insane that's like this is the world we live in you you know what was a professional camera five ten years ago or whatever you can buy for next to nothing and start going and working 
Yes. You know, like yes. and people are obviously, <laughs> you know it. There's people out there everywhere working, <laughs> whether they're being paid or not. is another thing. Well, we're all photographers now. I mean, anybody can reach into their pocket right now and start taking a photo. And this is a very uh, amazing time for us too. And I've turned in work that's been shot on the iPhone before in video. And well, and, I, I, I mean, just made a film, and we shot on uh, Panasonic five uh, D Mark Four and phones. That yeah, was, and it, you know, oh God, it felt it was amazing feeling. I've never felt so free. It was me and Tom, good mate, on a trip, six weeks, making, trying to make as professional a film as we could, but but knowing if we don't make it professional, it doesn't matter. You grab the nearest camera, you try and get it on the DSLR, but if not, you get it on your phones. And the resulting film allowed me to be much more honest. Mm -hmm. No reshooting, no reverse angles. Rarely, every now and then, we thought, oh shit, we better go out and redo that or something yeah but, some b-roll or things like yeah that yeah you know. but other than that it was all as it happened because i knew i could just whip a f iphone out and, and get it good enough footage and yes. you can't even really tell to be honest. well and think about then what you're saying about megapixels and where you're publishing this is probably going to youtube where it's compressed well, anyway we put it on youtube yeah that was the, part, the other part of the experiment is like you know when I, when i got back i mean it was an experiment from the word go it was low very low budget we, the whole thing cost about ten ten thousand dollars in the end, mm. including six weeks in Mongolia, including post production. We got everyone off Fiverr. We got we got a score produced off a guy that that Tom found on Fiverr wow. for four hundred bucks or five hundred bucks. You know, a good guy who just said, "Yeah, I like what you're doing. Here you go." It's color grading, one hundred and fifty. This is a sixty minute film. You know, <laughs> sixty minutes. I was no, thinking no, it was like ten minutes. No, 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 no. Sixty three <laughs> minutes, mate. It's a full feature film. Like the point was, it was an experiment. We worked for free. We just reached out to people and said, look, you know, if you say no, we don't no care. No pressure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And people were like, yeah, I'll do it. The guy literally wrote a full score for it, you know, like properly composed and, and, and played a score. And, you know, it's incredible. And we never met him. It's all done over the Internet, you know. And then, you know, the, the last part of the experiment was, well, we'll put it on YouTube then. We had a premiere. I mean, ironically, you know, it's, it's had like, I think, 11,000 views, which is literally a symptom of my reach on YouTube or even Facebook, you know, Facebook, my, probably my biggest following is on Facebook is about 60,000, but it's very hard to reach 60,000 people. Oh, you never do. Uh, you yeah. know, they want you to put the ad dollars in to really get that out there. Well, I did that once to my detriment because what I noticed after this was, we, we were, I was promoting a film on discovery a few years ago and I thought, you know what, I'm going to spend a hundred bucks on ads just to, you know, and ever since then, I've had terrible reach. And I think they they saw that I was prepared to put some ad dollars in. And now they're like, right. Well, and you know why you know why that is, right? Well, because you're absolutely right. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 You, if, if you're listening right now um, and you have a decent uh, engagement on your Facebook page, Stupid. never, ever put money into a paid post. Yeah. It just they, they do that. It's exactly right. Like you, you have like this good one and it just drops off. Yeah. They're trying to get you to incentivize you to put more money into it. It's horrible. And I was talking to, I, I won't mention a name, but someone here with who works for a very large NGO. Mm. And they spent, I mean, their ad dollars on Facebook are unbelievable, but they're being courted by Facebook now. Yes. Offering, here's, look, we've got a one and a half million dollars worth of ads for free. Just, you've got to use them by this particular time because they want them advertising on their platform because they're a very respectable place but talking to her was fascinating she she literally she told me that they're out of control now they can't control what's going on you think that their algorithms are trying to filter out certain things and you know bad in inverted commas bad stuff or fake news or whatever yeah but she said they're out of control 
you know, they don't know how to control it. They now. can't yeah. do it in real time. It's impossible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. It's like, this is, this is why, you know, a lot of my interest in photography, which bled into social media, it bled into networks. Now it's become something completely different. Yes. It's like, this whole thing is fascinating. It's the media. Everyone's a media mogul now. Every individual on the planet has a media empire of, cer- of a certain size. And, and I think how people play this in the future is going to be the make or break of, of us as individuals. I think so too, but you're also, you're also giving a tremendous amount of power to the individual, which is fueling some of that fake news stuff, obviously, but then you also have those people that, wow, you know, you have an incredible voice and, and now you, you, know, you deserve this following, like you're a storyteller. So we've had all these great uh, influencers from, you know, not influencers, but, but really good storytellers on Instagram and, and on YouTube that are inspiring us because they never would have been able to get to a network with their idea, but now their voice is out there. So you have a positive side of it, but then, yeah, you, you have have that that other side of it too where you're giving power to voices that you know well they're kind of like a little a little wild you know so it's it's this uh you know this unlimited freedom and access but then you're asking a company to control it and rein it in and we're very very you know polarized world right now too you know it's 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 an interesting time and i I think that we're coming to that boiling point where for a couple years it's like this is a growing problem and i think now the whole world's looking at it as this cannot go on the way that it is right now. And I think that's where you said, like, I'm looking at the next two, two years as being very transformational in, inside of the social media space. So Clubhouse is another good example of this. So you have podcasters. Can you say whatever you like on Clubhouse? Is it, is it somehow moderated? Yeah, they were, they kind of, the, the reason I knew about it is I read an article where they were taking some heat for some people who were saying some very controversial stuff. And then I'm like, oh, I better get this before they ban it, you know? Yeah. And then I, I didn't, you know, you don't have to subscribe or listen to that stuff. But this but, is. But is it being, is it being censored? No. Which is great. I mean, I'm a, I'm an app, I'm a free speech absolutist. I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't think you work. could put like, I'm not even going to say the word. I don't think you can like label a group like just hate words, you know. And I think yeah. that that's not going to work. But but, you, but you can pick up. I mean, you know, AI can tell what you're saying, obviously. Well, so yeah, you yeah, could yeah. you could pick a couple of words and and. No doubt, it, it if it's not already happening, it will happen. Yes, and in some degree, it must be happening. It must be happening. But I think this is cool because, again, you have podcasters, right? And they become established. Some of them you like never heard of, and you're like, wow, they're great. And now you have this whole, you know, maybe future podcasters, people that would never have done this, but they start talking and they have something to say in a but story. the thing about podcasting is it's a decentralized network. Like, other than... Like other than you know the the aggregators who could ban you, mm. podcasting itself is not something you can censor, and and it like RSS feeds you can't you can't is I, I mean I'm pretty sure you can't censor those kind of feeds. You could you could subscribe to a podcast and no one's going to be able to stop you. Whereas exactly on a social network you're within their ecosystem. You with, are. with a podcast you and this is what I find so amazing about this revolution in the spoken word at the moment is it is. There's, it's freedom again. And, you know, it, it's like, and, you know, I mean, you probably don't, you know, my, my, my Bitcoin life, which is completely different. <laughs> Within the podcasting world now, there are um, podcasting platforms where you can stream sats, stream Bitcoin as payment to the podcaster. And it's wow. just starting now. It's been around for sort of six months. All my favorite Bitcoin podcasts are on those app, apps. And they're streaming. You you decide how much you want to pay a minute, five sats a minute, two sats a minute, whatever. And it, it'll build. And funnily enough, one of the biggest voices on there is a guy called Adam Curry, who's the 
the the podfather they call him he he was the, he's the first guy to ever have a podcast wow and and he's seen you know like a lot of people i know because i'm in the sort of libertarian sort of world a little bit they love podcasting because it is the one final platform that's probably still free that's and free and easy and and we're all to a lesser or more degree free speech absolutists you know sure. i'm like i in theory i'm a free speech absolutist i think in reality it, it could it could be a bumpy ride sure you know and i don't i don't know how you know in my own life of course i would just say you say what you want i don't care if you if you say something terrible uh if you incite violence it doesn't matter you know be prepared to be you know like talked back to though you know if you see what i mean but as we know you know in reality people like to control that stuff because it can lead to to much worse things and you know i but when we we're getting now to the point where i mean look at what's happened recently you know trump's been censored you know a lot of you know dissenting voices are consent sure, uh, sure. are censored and i don't find many of them that dangerous i mean well i mean you, you know i've had conversations with uh, my brother who's very libertarian and on a completely different side as far as how how we believe what's going on and and yeah censorship i think when I, I, you know Eight, nine years ago when I'd hear Alex Jones, I mean, I just thought it was satire, of course. You, you know, and that's yeah. like what I'm concerned. It's like, it's just conspiracy theory stuff. But as soon as it became like when people really started internalizing this and believing it and following it. And then when we start seeing people get death threats because it's like this, you know, Columbine didn't happen. This didn't happen. This, you know, this is where it becomes more of a hate speech. And even if it's not intentional. And I think what's interesting is, especially in the podcasting realm, I think, People don't really understand the responsibility of their words. So we're sitting here and talking, and there could be any, there could be one person. I'm sure my mom will listen to this, but we could be influencing people in the wrong way. And I think that there's a social obligation for communicators to understand that their words will be taken seriously and to make sure that you don't misguide people. And the reason that Alex Jones, and it's not the main reason, but he's making a lot of money this way. I mean, he's literally making millions of dollars pushing this. A lot of these news stations or fake news, whatever you believe, it's all driven by money. Whatever their story is, like is as outlandish as it is, it, it's because it's because of money. And a lot of these guys, I had this conversation. Uh, Flat Earth fascinated me for so long, and like my friends are like, we're looking up like, how do they explain this, and how do they explain this? You know, it's, they always have a way on YouTube to explain mm -hmm. it. And I just see the people who are the influencers for Flat Earth. And I mean, these people, they're do, they do it. And they don't, I don't think they even really believe it. They're just like, now I'm like the king of Flat Earth, you know? And then they just keep pushing this because... But here's the thing, like, Flat Earth, um, you know, you either believe it or you don't, right? And if you do well, believe, if you if you don't believe it, you're quite happy to hear someone talk about the Flat Earth, it's aren't you? It's hilarious. <laughs> right, exactly. So, <laughs> so why... I mean, I, I found that banning Alex Jones from all these platforms was a was a very unusual decision it's, to it's make. It's bold. It, but, but, but really, Alex Jones, I mean, like, in reality, I would say, no, of course not. Well, when but, did this become, you know, like I said, when did it turn from satire into reality? You know, and, and I think that this is, it's very hard. And what you're seeing is a lot of this, the the banning, the the canceling, all this stuff is, is actually an overcorrection for a problem that should have been solved a long time ago. How would you have solved that problem? I don't know. 
I don't know. I haven't had that conversation with people yet. I think that there had to be some, you know, and, and it's hard. See, this is when you start to get in the topic where like, okay, you know, we need to have regulation on these things, right? But then regulation is a dangerous word because yeah. who's controlling the regulation? Exactly. And historically, that's that's why a lot of people would, would stay Republican because you want small government, less yeah. regulation, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of, you know, whatever. But now we're seeing like, it's almost at the point, and I hate to say this, it's like, man, freedom of speech was a kind of a cool idea. You know, but now we have to kind of define this a little bit more because people are starting to live within that confine of it and 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 I hate to say getting away with what they can do. So it's no longer the umbrella of it sounds great until you start legally pushing these things into it that are, are getting people killed, are doing all these things. Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe I, I'm under no illusion that we are going through a revolution of the spoken word. Absolutely. Moment. This is, you know... 50 like when the printing press was was you know invented that was a revolution of the written word the internet has given us a revolution of the spoken word to the point now where you can hear more spoken word than anything else sure probably more people i, I mean i'm guessing it but i suspect more people are even listening to books than are reading them and you can also listen to words while you're doing other things which you can't when you're reading so I do it all day exactly right so so maybe you're right maybe the rules now need to be to be different because it really is an all pervasive thing you know, it, it didn't used to be this pervasive. You had to speak to someone in real life in the past. You had to hear them either on their platform yeah. or, or in person. Well, you really go out of your way to consume this media. But it's also if you think about where the voices are coming from, like us saying stuff and laughing or Alex, you know, whatever, you, whatever you're consuming, usually it's, it's kind of being broadcast out on the radio waves. It's like now it's being pushed down by politicians, by the government. So you have like this level of when we're communicating, it's like it's, it could be entertainment. It could be opinion pieces. But when politicians are like pushing these same things, then it, it just just justifies it makes it feel real and then people rally behind it and suddenly these conversations that can be harmless or satire are now political dogma and i think that that's you know we never should have politicized a lot of this stuff well look in the end everything powerful becomes politicized doesn't sure it? And, oh uh, actually something i want to say though is like we are at a revolution of the spoken word but you have to think about the spoken word so before when people were we, we were you know bc people were just just walking across and we're finding petroglyphs how did people communicate before so the reason that people knew about the animals the reason people knew how to live was because their their medicine man or their their like elder would tell stories so literally our whole civilization is based on the concept of sitting around a fire and hearing somebody tell them about the world and that's see the petroglyphs if you see like the the little drawings of the elephants and all these things like this is literally the storyteller this is how people consumed information from the voice of the elder and then as 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 pictures came later wow. so this is not it is a revolution now because we always cycle things but this is the the truest form of storytelling is the spoken word i mean i'll take it in even deeper i'd say everything is a story it the is. way our brain formulates our 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 reality is through stories mm -hmm. and you know this is why i'm fascinated because um something happened to me like in the last sort of five years i've 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 been moving away from photography and for many many reasons but it has dis it's been disconcerting because i've been you know I've, I've been known for that for so long yeah it, it's a hard thing to let go of and especially when you're good at it and you can deliver and you can you know it, you've built up a career too you right know? but the but the interesting thing is like, um, as I moved away from it, um, you know, I'm, and I'm, I'm trying to redefine myself and it's difficult. And then one of my trusted friends 
relatively recently pointed something out to me and it it, it, it really helped lift some of that burden. He basically said, um, at the core, you're a communicator. And don't forget that. You know, you, you chose to communicate through photography for many years and films after that, but you are actually a communicator. Yes. And this, communicating, us talking now, it's still part of the same job title as yeah. far as I'm concerned. It is. And, you know, it's funny because I find the spoken word now the single most liberating place to be. I, it's just so unbelievable that, that, you know, especially in the context of photography, because, you know, I began photography, you know, thinking it was it, it could change the world. Um, or or portraits could tell the story of someone. You know, I yeah. soon realized that, yeah, you can't tell much from a person by looking at their portrait. However, if I film them for five minutes and let them, you know, oh, now we get a bit more. And then in the end, you realize, well, look, shit, if I talk, if I sit down and talk with them for two hours, I'm going to know everything I need to know. <laughs> so so this is the this is the place where all the good stuff's happening at the moment, the conversations. I, I think so, too. And, and that was my transition like four or five years ago when, I, you know, I'm trying to fully represent a place or at least, yes, it's it looks what it looks like. You know, it's at its best. If you stand there, I hope it looks this way and you feel like you can walk into the photo. But the reason that I'm able to get those photos, I thought, was just because I was standing in these locations long enough to understand them. But everything that happened in between that is why it was there, you know, just stand in a location I hate, you know, making friends, having drinks, dinners, learning about the culture and falling in love with these places. And that's 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 what you're seeing. You're seeing the love of these places. And yeah, it's visually appealing, but it isn't telling the whole story. It's It's communicating a visual for sure. And I think that's why this project moments in time was important to me just having made friends with all these, these people from all over the world that have inspired you me. Tell us what moments in time is. Yeah. So I, I mean, it's, it's nice to talk to you. It's like, I feel like we've all kind of evolved, you know, and I tell people as artists, we, we have to evolve. We have to change. You know, we, we, we figure out our new path, but moments in time is a video series that my wife and I kind of conceptualized for many years, like over 10 years of travel. We just started thinking, is there a way we could like you know, show all this stuff that's happening in between, like maybe just film our interactions with people or something simple. And for years, it's always bothering me. Like, I, I think I can do this. And I started just making notes in a notebook of what this would be. It didn't have a name. And then we started like, uh, you know, deciding like, okay, we're going to do this. Let's clear the schedule in 2019. I'm not going to take any other projects. If we can't get funding, we're going to self-fund it. We're going to, you know, pay the team everything, you know, we, we whatever, you know, we've, How we've lost money plan to be the team on this thing? I tapped uh, a very talented director, Valentina V, uh, who I've worked with for a while, who's an amazing director in, in California. And she's, she's just an amazing person. So I asked her first, even when this was like, I'm like, Val, I don't know if this is going to happen, but you know, I want it to happen. She's like, ah, it sounds amazing, you know, and all this stuff. And, um, and then I just asked her, like, find somebody that's good, that they could be a second shooter. And uh, Naomi and I literally uh, started planning this and just figuring like, this might cost us a few hundred thousand dollars. And that's like, a, you know, a lot you know but we wanted to make it happen and at that point I think I was getting to the point where I was doing what I was doing for so long and I felt like I need to start doing something else or else I'm going to start getting stale you know like you have to constantly challenge yourself I don't know how to create a video series I have a video background but I don't know how to create a tv show so we went to Office Depot and I bought like every post-it note color possible right and like I think they had like 16 colors and then like we made this uh like legend on the wall, right? All right, so the yellow one's going to be a location, right? And the pink one's going to be like a sponsor-related thing. And this is going to be a story that's emotional. This is going to be a story about photography. And like we made this thing and I put up 
all of these places on the wall. Like I think I had like 20 countries or different locations. And I just started thinking about for days I looked at it and I'm like, okay, uh, yeah, if we go there, like the landscape, this, 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 here's the photos, here's this, this, this. And then Japan was like, okay, we can, we can talk about, um, you know, the, the fish market, we do this. And like what happened was the ones that had all of these different ideas, not just photography, all these different stories were the ones that stayed on the wall and the other ones came down. And eventually I started really consolidating this. That sounds like a, a, a great way to teach the creative process. Well, it's kind of it. like, remember what we were saying? Like, that's called storyboarding, yes. you know, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like we used to But you worked it out, like it was, you worked it out yourself. You yeah, came, to the, you came yeah. to the conclusion that it was a good idea. Oh, and I thought you discovered the wheel, but actually... <laughs> well, Naomi found it was funny because afterwards she found this uh, this great app called Trello. I don't know if you use Trello. No. So a Trello board looks much like colored uh, post-it notes. So we design our episodes uh, Trello because we can move segments around. And it looks like a, the same thing, well, much more organized than our wall office because, you know, post-it notes kept falling down. So I just started taping them all over the place. And then we just kind of, uh, we had, you know, at that point, I didn't... I wanted to find sponsors, but I was worried. You know, I didn't want it to be like a Fujifilm project or whatever. I didn't want it to have an agenda. Just maybe um, tell us about, you already had connections with lots of different photo brands, is that I right? did, yeah. So I, I I kind of, I approached Fujifilm because they, they were great. It's like, maybe we can shoot this all in Fujifilm because at the time, the X-T3 had just come out and they were really starting to push the envelope in, in film and digital. And they're doing really well now. And they just love supporting projects that are about photography. And I was even going to go interview everybody in Tokyo about the, that stuff, you know, and, and try to show a, a lighter side of the, the corporate stuff. And then I was having a conversation with my friends at Smug Mug and Flickr, just bouncing the ideas because they're good friends. You know, would this work? How would you shoot it? You know, and at that time it was a different, uh, you know, different plan than it ended up turning into. And they just like, I, we want to get behind this like this is a great project i'm like guys i just like i, I want to give it away for free and you know I, it's got to be on my youtube i don't want people to think that it's like branded content and they're like we're fine with that so they they were able to help and they really were able to get us get us out there and Would you, just before you go on in your mind what were you expecting like i i've made programs before and, and sure. I, there's always been like yeah we want this to go on netflix or we want this to just be free or what did you what was your plan here because you're yeah. you're you're talking about spending large amount of money yeah and doing a passion project yeah and and you don't appear to have much idea about what you're going to do with it i had no agenda and it confused the hell out of friends that, that do this for a living they're like well where do you see this going i was like i don't care it's just, i need to make this and I'm going to give it away on YouTube. And yeah, sure, you know, maybe we'll pitch it on Netflix someday. You know, that's what I thought at the time. I just I just wanted to create this. And the idea was this show was going to go and show the people that I care about, the people that have inspired me, the people that have turned me into who I am and the storyteller I am today. And and I just thought that this is what is missing in my work. And I've I've heard I've inspired people all over the world to pick up a camera and travel, which is great. But I think I want this to inspire people to explore and like you say communicate question learn you know don't just go to this place and photograph it and that was my that was my agenda i just i just wanted to kind of give back to the community that's given me so much and a, a brief um outline of the project roughly speaking you meet up around the world with other photographers and they kind of show you around yeah so we'll always have a, a guest like a guest host and, and like as a host i don't want to i don't want the show and that's why i said it's like a show that i host but it's not about me you know uh so we'll always have somebody that we'll we'll go to like in uh, the philippines we, we saw a few people we saw jan gonzalez and i was like jan you know just uh, can we come can you just like put me in a ridiculous position and are these 
I'm not massively knowledgeable about oh, sure, photographers. Sure. Like, are these people, you know, like my, I come from the kind of, you know, the world of normal photography, not the kind of like, uh, yeah, well, no, no, do you know what I mean? Like the old fashioned world where, where I know, I know. we know people from magazines and stuff. Sure. The, you live in a world of photographers who most of my old friends have never heard of, but yes. who are all fabulously successful or to a degree successful and doing it a completely different way. Yes. So, uh, like, where are these guys from? Well, see, that's it. I've always considered myself a bridge between the two worlds because the way that when I started and still, you know, having known your work and everybody's work and and having to, you know, or being, having the privilege to be on stage with you or after, you know what I mean? Like, I'm tapped into both of those worlds. And yeah, these are a lot of, um, even if they've been doing it a long time, yeah, it's not that old guard, even if they have magazine contracts. But yeah, this is a lot of, um, like, Jan Gonzalez does these amazing, like, environmental portraits that are just unbelievable and he he works on national campaigns and and the campaign he was working on was for fujifilm at the time and fujifilm was like you don't have to interview ex-photographers but it turned out and that's their ambassador team the ex-photographers a lot of these people are like we're my already like my best friends and they have very modest followings and they have the most incredible work i've seen and and they're great communicators and they're also um very highly active on their own particular networks is that right yeah but we're regionalizing it so i didn't want to just go and tell these people's stories it's like i wanted to visit them in their community in their world and i wanted them to share that with me because i thought that was it's it's very important you know to go to malaysia and and talk to somebody in kuala lumpur who's lived there and photographed it and you know is is he knows it and and hear his perspective of it and and where the show gets fun for me is it's it's photography is what connects us all together and we learn little things, but then, you know, we're eating in the street market. We're doing all these things. We're learning from the perspective of locals. And then sometimes we even have guides who are, are talking to us about this place. Cause as photographers, sometimes, I mean, it's different, you know, when you're documenting things, but with us, when you're talking about real estate or architecture or places, I mean, it's, it's different, you know, sometimes a good example is like I visited the Coliseum to photograph it like 10 times before I ever went in, you know, how silly is that? Yeah. You, know, you know, you're not really understanding what goes into it or the culture. We're just scratching the surface. So this was a, a way to get in there and, and, and just really, uh, not tell these stories, but just, just enable the, these people that I love to, to tell their stories. Going back to the photographers themselves. Yeah. Um, Cause I, I've, I've, I had this experience myself coming up. I come up, I came up through proper photojournalism and working for a newspaper yeah. and all this kind of stuff. And when the social media kind of um, photo thing happened, I distinctly remember thinking like resisting it. Mm. Because I think, certain, and this is me, as I'm being as honest as I can here, I think within the old guard of photography, there was always this kind of, we always wanted to keep a bit of a distance between ourselves and everyone else. Of course. A little bit, right. Yeah. And and I found, I, I remember thinking, oh, I can't, you know, I can't answer questions from, fa-, you know, not fans, but, you know, at the time. But you know what I mean? What what was one of the symptoms of, of that kind of photography is it, it, everyone was just connecting with everyone. And, and it wasn't, it seemed to, it seemed to not have that kind of, the heroes were very accessible. And if you look at back at the heroes of photography, certainly when I was coming up, they were literally untouchable gods. And yes. If, and if you brush shoulders with them at a photo festival, you were excited. Yeah. And, you know, and then, and then your world is the place where you could send anyone a message and they'd probably talk to you immediately. Some, you know? Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, 
It's different too. Yeah. Communication, social media has always changed that. Um, photographers should never be put on a pedestal in any way. And I always thought that too, that it's just odd that like people are following me for this. It's like anybody can do this. They just need to go outside and take photos. But when you come into it and now it's 12 years or more that I've been doing this too. I mean, if you guys are like calling you the old guard, by the way. So like the old guards, like what I was inspired by. And of course there are people like Trey Radcliffe and these other people. It's like, I didn't want to do work like that. You know, I want to do something different. And I think at the time there even now there's still there's gatekeepers for everything right like to get into that festival circuit or something you there's a sort of this level of prestige and photographers especially the old guard like they'll look at some of these these people even if they've been working for a long time but they just start sharing their work and they're like you haven't put the time in you know like people it's almost like you have to have the battle scars you have to put the time in and then then they'll start respecting you once you have like these accolades and that's what's changed and even in the social media community, unfortunately, it's become like follower count. You know, so the untouchable gods are these ones with multi-million followers. And, and is stuff. it changing them? Or? Well, they answer back. Like, that's the whole thing. People text me on, you know, all day. And I, I answer as many as I can. And people are like, I can't believe you answer me. And I'm like, I'm a human. <laughs> you mm. know, I'm like, and I, even if I'm not posting, I'm interacting because this is, to me, you know, if if I looked up to you, right, and then I tried to message you and I never get a response. Um, you know, it's kind of disheartening, but if I was like, you know, and I do look up to you, I'm not like using his like that, but what are his <laughs> example, mostly cause you're taller than me, but you know, if you say something encouraging or just like, Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad you noticed that, you know, and then usually you know, ask a question about them, you know, and then that inspires somebody, you know, and I think that that's what was missing. And you also have to remember how much did it cost to be a photographer back then, man, like 30, $40,000 to buy stuff. I think the old guard was resistant to the idea of somebody just picking up their phone and doing what they've done for 30 or 40 or years. You just know? creating their own network. I mean, the, the, oh, the well, most yeah. threatening thing was that suddenly it was more important to get published online than it was to get published in the New York Times. And very suddenly, they, nobody's getting paid for it. They just yes. give it away for free. Yeah, exactly. that was a detriment for all of us. Out of interest, do you know what happened to Trey Reckliffe after Google? Shut, no, he's shut still down? doing his thing. Yeah, he's. I mean, I, I don't he really was, follow him. He was literally picked up by google and 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 sort of i remember he, he, he had like three million followers or something didn't yeah. he? because they kind of said right you're one of our guys you're going to get followed you know yeah he was on the algorithm it was called the recommended user list yeah and then anybody who everybody was signed remember it was a controversy everybody who had a google uh, gmail account was signed up and then like you click like who do you want to follow and you you know you're automatically following these people which you know out of in, so what what did happen to him after after that? um i don't uh, like I, we don't really connect, so I I, uh, I think he's still doing events and doing much the same. Actually, I think he's still, on another platform. Or? Well, he moved. I know he moved to New Zealand, and he's still kind of doing his thing. He's still publishing blog. I think it's like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Yeah, but no, there's no more Google Plus. I think that was his main sort of steam engine. Well, yeah, I mean it was, and this yeah. is the risk we all take by aligning ourselves with a network. They can flick you off at the well. So can Instagram. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like that's like social media. And so these uh, super influencers, uh, I give people advice a lot, you know. And I'm like, look, you know, you have this following. Uh, I know you're monetizing it with your presets and everything, but where are you sending people? And they're like, oh, just to my Instagram or my link tree or whatever. I'm like, you need a website. You need to start thinking about post Instagram. What are you going to do? Do you know what the most powerful thing still to this day I have in my work life? An email subscriber list. Yes, this is the this I'm is not very being important. Funny. No, 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 like, no. no. I, we've important. never advertised our expeditions that we run. 
it's all done on an email list. Yeah. And that email list has been building up slowly but surely. And it's still the most powerful and independent way I can reach anyone because you get your most hardcore supporters. Because you you have to go, you actually have to click on something, type your email address in and your name and actually make an effort. So you're, you're, you're a higher value person by that point. We've already clicked the interest in it. Exactly. And and people forget that now. In the, they're all like, oh, you know, email. I mean, it's amazing what's even happened to email. It's annoying, email, isn't it? It's like, it really is. Oh, but but so actually, it, it still is one of those um, untouchable things. I mean, if you've got an email account, mm. you know, especially an independent one, you can, no one can take that away from you as yet. So, you know, especially I use Proton Mail a lot, which is a kind of... It's kind of our core too, you know, and now I never do it. And people are like, log in with Google, log in with Facebook. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. So you well, know? Come on, tell me, like, how do, do you use, what, in your business life, because, mm. I mean, what I find most annoying now is my phone, like when it, when it buzzes, I have to work out where it's buzzed from first. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Well, like half my friends are on Twitter. The other half are like, you know, or the other you know, quarter or wherever. And, you know, it's complicated. And, and, you know, Zoom now is, you know, I've got whole networks on Zoom yeah. of people that I don't have any other. I only see them on Zoom. I have Zoom, WebEx and BlueJeans. Right. I don't even know what BlueJeans is. It's Adobe's. Uh, Adobe have their own sort of gated uh-huh. community. Well, it's the one that all they all use. So if you're on an, a call with anybody from Adobe or a, a meetup, then it's on BlueJeans. Right? That's interesting. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I mean, so what? What are your kind of when you dream the the future into being? What are you thinking? Like, like where business wise, where where does this, where does where do you draw this into? Where does it kind of like where does it work? I mean, this is an incredibly chaotic time, and I think everyone's a. It's very obvious to people. Well, it's hard to. So, you know, people say I message you on Instagram and I'm like, well, then I have to check my other inbox unless I follow you, you know, because then it's filtering it. Same thing on Facebook. If then if I don't send that friend request, I'm never going to get it. It's not going to come through. So if it's something like uh, to communicate, honestly, it's 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 what's if I just give somebody my number and say, send me a text, you know, and I and if somebody wants to propose a project, I'm like, OK, um, you know, send me a text about it for just like brief. And well, then I'll ask phone for an text. email. No, yeah, like a WhatsApp. Okay, that's different. Yeah, and people are using Signal now or whatever. Yeah, well, WhatsApp, you can, you know, it's safer to give your number out that way be through WhatsApp, you know, because it's, you know, you can filter things if somebody, because those group things that people do, oh my God, just don't do that. Don't do that. Dude, I sent, even on this trip, you know, we've got the photographers group, I've got individual groups with everyone, and I yeah. keep sending messages like Dahlia's bloody group is she's got her name and then she's got the group and i keep replying to her on the wrong thing i'm going yeah, oh yeah. sorry yeah, 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 wrong yeah, yeah. wrong chat. oh I, I have so many things open and that's the thing um you know i was sort of happy when facebook said that they were going to merge messenger instagram and whatsapp together so at least yeah, now it's, it's terrible dude. it works horrible it's it's, 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 it's the worst good. i i can't even work it out i mean on android i don't know whether it's, it's probably better on 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 apple but on my phone now I find this whole business suite and, you know, it's turning me off yeah. fast, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm looking for the exit, really looking for the exit right now. And I would imagine a lot of people are, you know, it's hard to like, it, it's not just for everybody that you think of giving your number, but at that point it's, it, everything's filtered. Like they, they, uh, they're filtering everything. It's hard, you know? So if it's something like we're communicating, it's like, you know, just call me. And, and the other reason that I'm, I'm kind of going that route is, 
if you send me an email, I, I might be traveling. It might get, it might end up in like page three and it's not mm. because I'm super popular. It's just like everybody sends emails and sometimes it's a long email and then I just mark it as unread because I don't have time to read a long email. But if it says, hey, can you talk? I can, I can the, talk. The one advantage though is you do get to ignore people and then blame it on that. Well, so I, I hate to give away my secret, but well, when yeah, I was traveling full time, it was it, like, oh, secret. I was traveling. And honestly, <laughs> no, everyone like I, just, knows that. I wanted to catch up on Netflix, you know, and I just like, I'll use the travel excuse. But. It's, it, I don't, I think all these little tricks are so well known. I think people are very pragmatic about it and they sure. go, I know what you do. How many times do you precursor an email with apologies for the delay, but yeah, exactly. We've all, we all do this. Well, thing. I have my, it, I mean, I don't know about you, but especially an email, I have my things which I feel like I can deal with immediately. And then there are ones that just take a little bit more effort. Yeah. And you really have to, and I can't, sometimes I'm not in a mood to dive that deep. Absolutely in, not. You know, you know. I clear out the easy ones first and yeah. then I like, you know, flag the other ones for later, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't even look now. I've, I've got about 12 on there. Well, and it's... You know, and some of them are getting old. I know. <laughs> I know. And Google sort of saying, do you want to follow up on this? It says it's been five days, you know? Really? It's Is doing like... Because I use Gmail. I use Gmail oh, and it, it'll like send it and then I'm like, it's <laughs> a Facebook. Do you know what? This is, this, you know, talking of Gmail geeing you along. Um, one of my scholarship winners this year, um, she, we were walking along and she had high heels on and she tripped over and her phone said, are you all right? Do you want me to call someone? Yeah. I know. Yeah. I'd never seen that before, dude. Well, people were getting <laughs> pissed off at Apple because it was turning down the volume of the headphones because it, it could hurt oh, your yeah. ears. Mine does that. Yeah. Are you, are you sure you're not damaging your I know. eardrums? I'm like, I'm like, no. Leave me alone. <laughs> it's like I'm in a alone house. Like, <laughs> it's my life. Yeah, it's like, Leave me alone, mom. Who are you to tell me what I can and can't do? But it is. It's like it's like your mum whispering in your ear. It's like, I left home oh. to get away from that. I mean, I'm doing a sleep study on my phone. I started inputting some of this stuff because it's fascinating, you know? So I'm watching my like little breaks in sleep and then, you know, so there are useful things, but yeah, it's, it's really funny, you know? Yeah. I think we're getting, they're, they're monocoddling us too much. I mean, I, I've, I've been talking about this for probably about five years now in, in serious, you know, stage presentations that um, this trajectory we've been on for the last X number of years of basically soft, you know, taking up, de-risking our lives. Oh yeah. Is terrible for the human spirit and the human soul. And, and, and people are really misunderstanding how much we need hardship in our lives and, yeah. and struggle and bad things happening to us. And it, yeah. it's, it's turning us into idiots. We're I in little I, bubbles. And you know what I miss? What? Paper maps. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Cause now I don't feel like with Uber and everything, I'll go to a foreign city and I'll go out and, you know, drinking with my friends and it's 2 a.m. I don't know where the hell I am. I'm like, I'll just grab an Uber. Boom. Do you, do you know what? One of my little secret tricks when I was a proper backpacker is mm. I used to have a, one of those little compasses hanging off my, um, off my belt. Yeah. Um, because basically whenever you pick a map, map up, you can tell exactly which road you need to go down. Yeah. And otherwise it's, it's relatively difficult. And you yeah. know, oh, I've got a head in, because I'm terrible with, with directions, but as long as I know I've kind of got a head in a northeasterly direction, I just keep check, checking my uh, thing. And, it, mm -hmm. it, you know, these days, of course, yeah. I mean, I don't, not even sure, um, driving especially, you know, driving without a sat-nav now so is... So it's weird, like even if, I've lived in, I mean, I don't, there's not many roads where I am and I still use it now. Where do you live now? I, we're living on the space coast of Florida now. So it's space coast? Space coast, yeah. So our, it's because NASA's in Cape Canaveral and now we have uh, we have NASA, SpaceX, Blue Origin, 
Firefly ULA, and we're getting one more. So there, this is why we're getting rockets are going up every week. Uh, that's where like the Skynet, Elon Skynet is going up. We watch all the uh, the Arab uh, uh, probe that's going to Mars that was launched on the Cape. Like these, all these things happen. So it's the Space Coast, and all of the streets are like we have Satellite Beach, we have NASA Boulevard. You know, it's cute, and our area code is three two one. Uh, for three, two, one, blast. Really? Yeah. So everybody who has like people who grew up there never give away their things. It's a, it's it's kind of a cool cool area. Is, for did, why did you move there? Well, you know that was when we had uh, lost everything. We were living in uh, Hollywood, Florida, which is just south of Fort Lauderdale. It's like so right between Miami and Fort Lauderdale. Um, and we had friends that were moving to Melbourne, Florida, and we kind of came up and looked. And and at that point, it was like crazy like there were tumbleweeds and like for sale for rent for sale for rent because everything just crashed and for us not having much we were able to basically live on the beach for nothing because nobody was renting anything so it was super cheap so we went up there way cheaper you know for the same price we would have gotten something in a bad part of town in miami overlooking a parking lot which our backyard is the beach now and it was like you know soul gratifying and when we moved there uh, all our family from the florida keys started moving up and they're like this is amazing so much better than south florida it was like the best kept secret because nasa was ending their shuttle program and and the crisis and it was you know financially depressed there which meant it was like 20 percent cheaper than the rest of florida so was there a community of creatives there i mean often just my friends tend to just my friend john who lent me the camera he's the only other photographer really? there. And, and 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 the reason i moved back was because one, you know, we're thinking about starting a family and, and two, all of our family had moved there. We always loved it. It was still cheap and quiet and beautiful. Um, but the reason I moved there is because I didn't want there to be a photography community. And now there's a huge one. It's, I'm fine with it. Like I'm embracing it. My idea was like, I'm constantly going to all these beautiful places. And if I don't pick up the camera, I feel pressured to shoot photos and all these things. So when I went home, I didn't even want to think about photography. I mean, sure, I'd finish projects and edit, but I didn't want to be like, pressured like i shouldn't be here in the sunset i should be outside shooting it and that was that was the reason i thought just give me a break and now it drives everybody crazy when i'm like they're like are you shooting the launch and i'm like no i'm just watching it from my living room you know we see it right out the window there's the launch so you know i feel like now i'm starting to feel pressured okay i need to i need to start shooting some of these launches have you got is that a long-term plan now to stay there for now, I mean, never thought we were going to stay. My daughter was born in August 2019, so she would have been a world traveler without COVID. We would have taken her to Japan, to Europe, to all over Southeast Asia and everything. She would have just come with us and, and learn to be on the road. And let's, I mean, let's talk about COVID then because, you know, we're both travelers mm. by profession. Right. And obviously, I mean, my business can be has been completely decimated from the from the word go i had we were in mongolia when it happened we, mm. we were we, we had a quarantine there it was my first experience of it for a week we managed to get out because they just lifted the quarantine for a couple of days came home and the moment we locked down at home i haven't earned our business our, mm. my my media business other than this scholarship which was running you know alongside you know is, is the only thing i do that's actually not site specific other than this trip. Right. And, and fortunately for us, you know, the UAE is just <laughs> on it. They've just host, they're hosting a, an event and everyone's getting tested every two days. What and are there like six places you can go here in Sharjah and just get the vaccine? Yeah. Like you can just go for free and, and yeah. get the vaccine. Yeah. yeah. I think I actually, yeah. But, but yeah, so I, it's decimated my business model. Yeah. And, of course. and to the point where now, 
because a lot of what I'm doing is 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 in ad, in advance, you know, especially films and expeditions, they are all booked up a year in advance, so we have to cancel everything. Yeah. So we have none of that now, and I've I I'm actually well, we've already started doing stuff non media to make money. Right. Uh, I don't want to go in. I don't want to. I don't want this to turn into an event that no, just turns no. us into a debt, a debt-ridden right. family or whatever. I've worked very hard to get to a good position, and but but you know, how is it for you? I mean, what? what, what? Well, we were really lucky too because yeah, I canceled. I was supposed to be in Japan for a month in February, and we we're going to Georgia. I had workshops in India and all this stuff. And I think when I canceled it, it was a, a little feeling of relief because I didn't have to leave my daughter. I was getting really paranoid about this, but. I kind of looked at it as, you know, uh, it, there's nothing I can do about this. And and it was weird, this weird comfort knowing that it was everybody was affected in some way. It's like not like you were traveling and I was at home, you know, or I was out and you're like, I want to be down there too. It's like this is affecting all of us. And I think that that thought of that was like kind of nice for me. I just kind of let it go. And I said, you know, let's figure this out. And we have residual income streams from the tutorials that we've done, photographing the world with f-stoppers and some other projects. So there is there is a revenue stream that comes in to support us enough. And what I started thinking about, I was like, well, I'm now I'm going to be at home. This is something quite new, you know, not just for a week or 10 days or whatever. What can I do here? You know, so I started reaching out to sponsors and friends and like, you know, Skyloom, Adobe and Fujifilm. Like, what are you guys working on? Like, what, what can we do? during this and, and it turned out to be like you know we, we want to give a lot of education away for free or let's do this or this is moving online and started doing some interactive tutorials for Lightroom which is really cool by the way on Lightroom CC they're like interactive and when you build them people can click on it and see what you do and your, your, your little your face comes up with your little caption you know so there are all these fun things and I just started working on all those and and just kind of knowing that the travel will come back and I talked to a lot of people in the travel industry and I even started connecting to local tourism in Florida and everything. And they're like, yeah, we, we have zero budget. Things were slashed. Fujifilm camera companies, budget slashed. You know, nobody knows what to do with COVID. But there was demand for online content. And we saw like Tiger King came like became like the biggest thing in the world. You What's know? that? Tiger King, you haven't seen Tiger King on Netflix? Oh, sorry, the, the program. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you haven't know, watched it, but I okay, know about it. you know it. it. Everybody knows sure, this. Yeah. You know, this probably wouldn't have gotten popular without COVID. We suddenly had such a demand for things that um, it was just kind of sort of filling that, whether it's eBooks, tutorials, videos, and everything like that. Well, that's the, yeah. I mean, that that's my overarching experience from being at home and lockdowns. For the first time, I reached out online in a way that I've never done before right. in particular you know online learning I started learning with some some of my heroes basically who were offering online courses in real life on yeah. zoom and and some of them are like you know one I mean I'm studying with one guy and he charged a hundred dollars for 10 weeks 10 weeks He's, you know one one lesson a week and one seminar Wow, but but it changed my life completely. I, I I was like, this is you know not my photography life. This is my other lives. But um, it suddenly made me realize, oh my god, what what the hell is the education system all about? I'm I'm you know I'm I'm podca I'm listening to podcasts. I'm learning in real you know time with people who are lecturing, and you have seminars so you can talk about stuff with some great minds yeah. who who are realizing that even 
you know, being paid as a lecturer at a university is not as profitable as running your own little platform right. and, and reaching more people and then monetizing the, the stuff you've already taught, which just sits in an archive, you know, and it's a great business model. But even more than that, I think after about sort of a month of using Zoom regularly, it's completely changed my my consciousness about reaching out to people on Zoom. And and as a result now, I'll drop anyone a line and say, can I have a quick call? And it's amazing. He's <laughs> like a 75 to 80% hit rate yes. on, on people I would never have been able to reach out before. And vice versa, I get... I, I'm often, you know, talking, end up talking to people who have just contacted me randomly and yeah. I really enjoy it. And it suddenly yeah. made me realize, oh my God, this is a, this is a social media network that's appearing. And now, you know, like two nights ago, we ran our own Zoom, photography Zoom call. And I, I just put it on Facebook. I had 35 people. We've reviewed one portfolio and, and we all discussed it. And I said, look, you know, does everyone want to do this? And I'm like, uh, of course they went, yeah. So now that's going to be a weekly thing. And I, I have a sneaky feeling that, that there might be a lot of places to discover in this world. I, mean, I agree. Imagine if you had a, you know, you know, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people like lurking on these calls and that's sure. absolutely fine. Yeah. You could have a thousand people on a Zoom call and, and you only have 20 people that are actually interacting. This is why I find, uh, you know, clubhouse it seems like a bit of a threat i know it's because it's the same thing and i'm like oh shit you know i'm just getting into yeah, zoom yeah. And, and now clubhouse is going to come along and steamroller it but. i don't think so i think it has to find its place but you're right yeah this is it's sort of pioneering days and i think what i found most interesting is some of these big conferences whether it's film or video or photography um how to have had to turn digital right and so i want to try to get a meeting with well let's say we're at photokina right you know and i want to get a meeting with uh hasselblad but that i mean or phase or something, because I know Hasselblad's DJ, I know. Am I going to actually be able to set up a meeting with the head? You know, he's only there for a day or whatever. I'm not going to make it through that barrier. But now these digital conferences, I can say, hey, do you, do you have a five minutes to, to mm -hmm. talk? And they're like, yes. You know, they've, they've laid out this whole schedule where anybody can sort of ping them an idea or a pitch. And then mm -hmm. based on that, it's more. So now people that I would have never had access to are available. Yes. And I think what the unknown or the, the unseen advantage for me in that was not that I gleaned something from that m meeting necessarily it was that everyone yes. gleaned something from that meeting and I think I'm st I started to realize that just being on a call with a bunch of strangers and talking out loud about whatever is is hugely transformative sure to the point where I'm like oh my god this is like I'm I'm you're blowing my mind here and you know I'll come back to one of the calls I go on again. It's, an, it's another Bitcoin call, but um, uh, I have friends in the homeschooling network in particular. It, it, you know, it's just one of those things that we, we you know, it's in our, our community. Yeah. And um, I had a had an email from a friend uh, a few weeks ago who said, um, this guy uh, is doing a call. He wants to learn about Bitcoin. He's the guy, He I think he, he ran one of those big platforms. He started it and ran it. In, in one country for many for many years and he has a very interesting idea about how they teach online and hmm. and he said and one of the ways we teach is when we want to know about something you know if we want to if i if we want to learn about something we basically arrange a class and we all teach each other we've broken the rule there's no one teacher you go so this call went out for you know he wants to learn about bitcoin 
friend of mine said, oh, can you come on the call? Cause, and, you know, I'm pretty knowledgeable on, on been in the scene for quite a while. And um, I went in there thinking, you know, I'm just going to offer what I can. And I came away a changed person because, you know, and it's such a simple technique in, in their case. They, they begin the call. You, you, you introduce yourself. You talk about yourself, what you want to learn. You just, then you all have a conversation. And then by the end of it, you say, right, by this time next week, I am going to have done this. Cool. So I'm like, okay, I'll do, I'll join in. I, most people say I'm going to learn about this aspect, or I'm going to learn about. And I said, oh, you know, because I'm really fascinated in with Bitcoin mining, and in particular, you know, using stranded gas from oil rigs to mine Bitcoin. It's, it's a it's a deep rabbit hole, but I won't go into it now. But the point was, I've, I've, I'm dying to sort of I want to work in that realm because it's such a fascinating place. Yeah. Nothing to do with photography, and I'd been meaning to call this guy for a while but I was nervous and I didn't really you know and I said all right I'm gonna call this guy you know and then we kind of ended the call and then I was like shit now I've got to do it <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. and I did it I, I actually did it and and from that this whole transformation had occurred over the week and then at the beginning of the next call you have to sort of report back on what happened that's funny cool. enough what, the last call I said I'm gonna record some podcasts you know, and you're my second podcast. <laughs> like, and, and it was like, yeah, it's working. I went out and bought a bloody Zoom, a yeah, Zoom H6. Nice, and, nice. But the point I'm trying to make is I went in there thinking I would have more to offer than I would glean from the, from, from the experience. But it's not true. And this is what, if you structure a Zoom call well enough, I think it can be hugely transformational for everyone, especially if, they, if, if they're not a lurker. If you decide not to just lurk, you get even more out of it. The more you're offering, and this is something we've all known as communicators and educators for years, the more you offer, the more actually you, you, you transform yourself in that process. And especially yeah. when you hear yourself talking out loud, explaining something. I think the more you put out, the more you get back. For sure, yeah. And in, in, in my case as well, I found trying to explain something that I was very au fait with mm. to someone who knew nothing really tested my mettle yes. as to whether I did know it or not. And I, and it's like in real time, I'm going, well, yeah, you do know your stuff, actually. You know, like, because you're explaining this to someone, you know, who doesn't know a single thing about this. And it, it's, yeah, it's been, a, it's been amazing. And I, I, I foresee, I don't, and the beautiful thing about it is you, you know you're going somewhere, but you have no idea where this thing ends up. And that's what I love about these things, these random conversations, these random yeah. calls. And it's all because of the COVID experience, the lockdowns. They, 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 a lot of people went inside and in, internally. You know, I had a, my whole, I cleared out my whole life, even physically. We've sold, I, you know, I, I cleared out all my old cameras. I cleared out like, you know, th stuff I've been collecting from around the world for years on eBay, Simply because we thought, shit, well, we better get some money together here because our income's gone. Yeah. And and as a result, you know, spiritually you're clearing out, mentally you're clearing out. And I know it's a horrendous thing, but, you know, I, 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 I'm sure there's, well, we know there's an opportunity in this chaos and, and I can feel it. It's, it's relatively intangible for me right now, other than the fact that I know, 
you know, I'm walking in the direction of the sunset and, and yeah. it's, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And this is good. And I've been hearing stories about that too. You know, it's like kind of reminds me when we decided to sell everything and go and just buy a one way ticket and we don't know what's going to happen. Nothing to lose. You know, and, and that's it. You know, what is that? Oh well, yeah. So we fail, you know, that's not a big deal. And then I think when you start getting further and it does not just photography, but in the industry, like you, there becomes a lot of pressure and it becomes your identity. And at the end of I mean, it was 2018, 2019. I was so burnt out and I didn't even know it. It wasn't until, um, you know, COVID struck that I'm like, oh, I needed this. And I did. I dealt with um, issues. You know, I, I dealt with depression for many years. I was able to finally address these. I learned how to be a father. I, you know, I did all of these things that I, I, I would have put off because I wouldn't have. I mean, maybe I mean that they're wrong with me, but it's I'm always so busy that I always say, you know what, I'll deal with it later. I'll deal with it later. And eventually it just adds up where you're you're just a mess. You know, I I wasn't feeling healthy. I wasn't, you know, my wife was like, wow, I really look a year ago and you look horrible. I'm like, thanks, baby. Thanks. You know, but it, but it's true. When I started out doing this with no agenda, I felt super energized. And then after 10 years of doing it, I still liked doing it, but I was so exhausted and I was running myself into the ground and I didn't even know it. And it took, it took the pandemic for a lot of us to, to realize that we need to start focusing on ourselves for a little while and we need to start relaxing. We need to let things come. And now this year, Especially being here, because I think we're all a little bit excited. I, I'm starting to feel, and it started happening, you know, like, you know, halfway through last year, I'm starting to feel excited about, as excited as I was in the beginning, but I don't know what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what we got back to. And that's why we started doing this in the first place. You know, we pick up a camera, we do stuff, and we're like, we don't know. It's like, we just want to help, we want to do something. And there's like this power in this unknown because we're excited and, you know, I, I just, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so, so thankful for that. And I don't know, just like you, you know, I'm doing video stuff. I'm, I'm doing some business stuff. I'm doing all these things, but I'm trying to understand that it doesn't have to be linear. You know, we're not stuck doing one thing. And even if we love it, keep doing it, but you can't let one thing become your identity, especially if you feel like you want to do other things. I mean, this is the time that's what's life about life's about, right? The older you get, the more times you realize you can quit everything and start something new. What you're doing now doesn't have to be what you're doing in 10 years. And you have to accept the fact that this is what I'm doing now, but I have to be open. Yes. You know, I have to be open to other ideas. I have to let things come. And, and I, yeah, I think also, sorry to butt in. I oh, no problem. The, um, the, the, you know, I've known, I, I've heard this said or for many years, but mm. I've, I've really started understanding it recently that it's never too late to start something. Yeah, this is you a know theme what I mean now. Yeah, because because like I'm all I'm often late to the party on many things. I was late on social media. I tend to I tend to do all right in the end, but like you know, I remember when Facebook started. I was like, well, I don't need that. And <laughs> then like you know, three years later, I'm like, okay, now I need to claw some followers. And you know, podcasting, you know, it's you know, you know. 2008 called they they want their idea back you know it's like here's my first podcast it's like 2021 it's like yeah you know all the but but the point is you can start at any time and it doesn't actually matter yeah you know as something i learned buying bitcoin even you know yeah. like like really you know like you can be pissed off you didn't you know it's too expensive at 300 dollars, and then you end up buying at forty-eight thousand, and you're like Shh, what am i doing you know yeah but, i know it's but it's it is a, a really thing. important lesson it is because until you know um what's like the, the action of starting is what causes all the stuff to happen and it's almost a it's almost a cheesy spiritual understanding that you know once you begin the process of actual of action 
you know, it's the butterfly effect or whatever you want to call it happens. And sure. before you know it, which is exactly how I feel now, you know, I've, I, I feel like all I have to do is just keep walking forwards. Yes. I, I might actually drop off a cliff. I haven't got a clue. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be a total failure. We don't, I mean, who knows? But, who knows? But yeah. You just, but you're confident about it. Like you feel it, you feel it out. And I think that's important. Yeah, you can, you're just never too late. I mean, when I, when we did bankruptcy, I left a 10 year career where I was making good money. I mean, obviously we <laughs> spent it wrong on financing, but my, my colleagues were like, you're throwing your whole education away. You're throwing everything away to do what? And I'm, live on the beach. I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And then it was actually shortly after that, that the animation industry crashed and I went to India. And then my friends were like, I'm so jealous you got out when you did, you know? So all of these things that you look back on, which, you know, hard at the time ended up being important and pivotal. So I think that that taught me that, you know, I went to school for this. This doesn't have to be what I'm doing. In photography, I love it. It's, it, it may be, I'll do it forever. Who knows? But I'm open to the idea of other things. And I think that that's important. Do you and, think that's a personality trait? Or do you think it's something you can learn? Um, I think it's, I think that Neil, Neil Bailey was like saying, you know, just step outside, you know, and I think that's the thing you, you, you have to have a desire for it. And I think there are, there is a group of people that are happy and content, which is great, you know, but I think there is, there are a group of people who, who it's not feeling discontentment. It's, it's more like wanting, feeling like there's something more and not like more money. That's not it. It's like, but curious you know you, i think to do this to to be a if you want to be like an entrepreneur or pioneer you have to be curious you know so we what like two years ago what we would have just talked about photography right i mean now we're not and that's it do we ever think this was going to happen no so you have to be just you have to be curious and that's what i tell people when you're traveling be curious be curious ask questions you know that's it don't be afraid to. And he's like, because this is knowledge. This is, this is important. So I feel like all these connections that I make outside of photography. And, you know, it's funny because you could say like, yes, I'm a photographer, but my life is not photography. You know, this is all, this influences this. You know, I'm talking to you. I'm getting ideas. You're getting ideas. You know, it's, this is the way that it works. And I think that if you're that type of person that, you know, likes, it's almost like crowdsourcing ideas. Like you're just talking to people and you're curious about things. That's the, that's the attitude. You know, and that's all. You just got to have a conversation. Step outside. Take one step forward towards what you want. And the second step is much easier than the first one. You just can't be afraid of letting go of something. I think that's a fa fantastic place to end. It is. I hate to say it. We've been talking for an hour and a half. I know. I know. I know. I feel like you're going to be like, you know, my early podcast. Well, I am, I'm long. only stocking. I'm only stopping now because I've got a two o'clock. I've got no, to go and put I mean, a suit I, on and I, go and I do think something. like at this point we've lost everybody. They're like, oh, these guys are just going to keep talking about Bitcoin. I know. <laughs> no, I think I think uh, one of the things I get out of podcasting is hearing positivity broadcasts. I think you're a positive guy. I'm I'm surprised to hear you've you've even had uh, any issues with depression. You don't seem that kind of guy. It's because we don't talk about it. You know, that's something that I'm going to start talking about in the future once I'm ready to tell the story. And right now, it's a, it's a level of vulnerability as a storyteller that you have to be able to share. And and I think that part of the talk that I did here at Exposure of just talking about storytelling when everybody knows me as a landscape photographer is different, you know? Mm -hmm. And the and the response that I've gotten is everybody everybody loves it. I was like, that was so cool. It felt so meaningful. It's like, I'm always afraid because we have to step outside of that. But I mean, I'd love to talk about if people want to talk about imposter syndrome and depression. I mean, this is just, we all go through these periods and I think that we don't talk about it enough. We don't well, talk listen, about dude, it I, you know, when you're, when, when that time comes around, I'd love to talk again. Yeah, of course. I, I, you know, anything that's shared from a deep place is something that I'm 
I'm happy to hear. Oh yeah, I just have to. I'll figure out the best way to tell it. <laughs> well, you're a storyteller, mate. Anyway, look, thanks for talking, and um, good luck. Yeah. In the future. Yeah. And, you too. Um, see, maybe see you next year. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe on Zoom. Who knows? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Awesome. <laughs>